This is 105.9 The Region, where parents talk and explore practical, proactive, and evidence-based solutions. This is Where Parents Talk with Leanne Castellino. Welcome to Where Parents Talk here on 105.9 The Region. Thanks for joining us. I'm Leanne Castellino. Have you ever considered creating a parenting strategy? Do you have a roadmap and specific tactics for how you want to raise your child? Our guest today checks off all of those boxes. He has worked in politics on Capitol Hill, in healthcare and other departments, as well as for members of Congress, the U.S. Senate, and the U.S. House of Representatives for over 25 years. Jeff Nelligan is also an author and a father of three boys, all of whom are in the military. One of his books is entitled, Four Lessons for My Three Sons, How You Can Raise Resilient Kids. Jeff Nelligan joins us today from Washington, D.C. Thank you for being here. Hey, thank you, Leanne, for having me. It's a privilege and, you know, an honor. Now, you've met a lot of parents across many different things that you do over decades, and you've been quoted as saying that many parents, in your opinion, don't seem to have a defined plan or strategy for guiding their children toward a confident and productive life. What do you mean by that? Well, I'll I'll make a universal statement here, Leanne, and any parent listening probably has felt this. When you hold your baby for the first time, hours after birth, I know that parent is thinking it because I thought it three different times. What is this child going to grow up to be? That is, that's got to be a universal statement about parenthood. And it's not the, well, he's going to be this occupation or he's going to live here. It's going to be what kind of human being is he going to be in childhood, he or she, in childhood, adolescence, and adulthood. And so when I start talking about strategy in my book, and it's a good term that you brought up, it's not about letting the culture shape them or their the kids that they'll ultimately meet as friends or the parents they're around. It's how do you, the parent, guide them towards being, as you just noted, confident and productive and bet, you know, bless those qualities that make them that kind of adult that you will be proud of them as you hold that four-hour-old baby. Now, you had the wherewithal to develop a strategy, understand you needed a strategy, go ahead and practice a strategy, but not all parents maybe have that kind of notion once they become new parents. And certainly there's so many other things as well to think about when you have a newborn. But why do you believe having that strategy in the first place is so important? Well, the strategy is, again, going back to your first question, is not allowing the culture or anything else to shape that kid. It's the parent shaping the kid. And, you know, the strategy is you want that kid who is instilled with those values that leads to confidence, productivity, decency, honesty, uh, kindness, resilience, and adversity, which is one thing that any kid, any adult needs for for the rest, for, for throughout their lives, conduct. And, but I'll come back to what the kid needs to strat as a strategy is that resilience. And the second part of the strategy is you just don't hope for those things and you just don't tell he or she, oh, you've got to be this, you've got to be kind and resilient and, and humble. 
you've got to place them in situations where they develop those characteristics. And for my strategy, it was placing them always in the real world, which is right outside the front door, in which they saw the good and the bad and the inspirational in individuals and situations where they knew how to navigate or figure out how to navigate uh, situations and that real world. And so the strategy is built on the qualities you want in the kid, and then how do you instill the qualities, and that is the real world. So what ages did you start that in your household, and can you give us some examples of how you went about doing that with each of your sons? Sure. I started it real early. Um, when I say early, the, the eldest is probably around six years old, and the youngest was three, three and a half, four. And what I did is when we went out in the real world, I would, as I noted earlier, I would pan, point out the good, the bad, and the inspirational. You know, see something, say something. If you see a parent or an adult holding a door open for a senior or engaging other shy parents in conversation, you point it out and you say, you need to be like that. You need to be like Mr. Pikus, our neighbor, Mr. Gergar, our neighbor. You need to be that, that person who does that. When you see the bad, you point it out too. If there's a jerk kid, you point it out immediately. A kid being rude to his parents or getting in a major league blow up uh, with teachers or other kids, you say, you know, that kid's a jackass and you never want to be like that. And so they were constantly in the real world. You'll see these situations all the time. In the real world, I mean, school and athletic fields, the grocery store, the hardware store, neighborhood events, community service. When I saw those, I would point them out and say, and with them have this kind of brief, funny quip that kids, as parents listening know, love to repeat themselves. You know, they love that funny, brief thing and they'll repeat it forever. And the younger they are, the more they'll repeat it. And so they saw how the world was unfolding. And they had this almost reflex attitude because they had the soundtrack in their mind from the old man that this was good, this was bad, and this is how you should not, you know, replicate that behavior or try to replicate that behavior. It's an interesting point because as parents, we see things and process them in adult ways, and we don't often know how our kids are taking this information in, how they're processing it. So by pointing it out, if I understand you correctly, you're actually helping your child frame and structure how they're taking in that information. Correct. And, you know, I go back to the whole resilience argument of, about what about which the book is based. And resilience means the idea, the idea of driving through adversity and not panicking and not folding up. And so all the instances I would show them, for example, of being in adversity and how to react. To give you an example of how the soundtrack plays out. My five-year-old son was at a mall for a birthday party, and the parents who were guiding them around, all 13 of them, kids, suddenly vanished and went into it. They were totally disorganized, and suddenly vanished, took 10 kids into a movie theater, and left my three kids in a food court and alone, all three five, five-year-old kids in this massive downtown mall. And, you know, the kids were panicked, and you can imagine as a parent how panicked they were and how panicked you'd be. But my kid remembered something that I always told him in pointing things out in this real world. If you see a man or a woman with a stripe running down their leg, pants leg, that means it's a security guard or a soldier 
and you need to run up to that person immediately and say, help me. Well, my kid says this to the other two year other five-year-olds, and they eventually, a couple of minutes later, find a mall security guard and he leads them to the you know, incompetent parents. But the idea was through the examples of all of me pointing this out every time we went out to a game or you know, to a mall, anywhere, the kid didn't flinch. He knew exactly what to do. Again, it's that reflex, that muscle memory. And so, like you said, if you process what you see as an adult and give it to your kids, they'll remember. So, Jeff, how did you even know to do that, right? Like you told us that you wanted to have a strategy when your children were born, but how did you know to do it the way that you're describing? You know, I was I was lucky to be raised by you know, my parents and be in a community of people that had, you know, the values, as I say, that I mentioned earlier. And it was also, I go back again, I didn't want the culture to shape them. I didn't want the schools or institutions to shape them. I wanted to shape them. And it comes to something that, you know, may be discordant for your listeners to hear, all parents. But my focus wasn't building on, wasn't building a relationship with my kids. It was on teaching my kids to build a relationship with the whole world because that's where they were going to be most of their lives beginning the first day they went to school. It wasn't going to be around me. And if you're a parent, you already have a relationship with a kid. That's why they call it a parent. So the strategy came from that. And it was a plan because, like I said in the beginning, you're looking at this little baby and you say, what's he going to be? And you, you're, or he or she's going to be, and then you think, well, I'm going to be the one that's going to guide them to be who they are going to be. And it seemed pretty fundamental at the time, and it seemed to work. So throughout their childhood and adolescence, all the way to where they are now, you know, they've always had that, they've always had that plan, and they were able to acquire those qualities that I thought were important and that pushed them along in all their schooling and everywhere else to where they are today. You are listening to Where Parents Talk on 105.9 The Region. I'm Leanne Castellino in conversation with Jeff Nelligan, father of three and author. Your sons are now 28, 26, and 24, and your book came out in the last couple of years and has recently been updated as well. Those are two very different times we're talking about. 20 plus years ago, when you first became a dad, and now where we are in the world with the internet, social media, technology, etc. So what was your impetus for writing this book? You know, Leanne, that is, it's a super observation on your part, because um, that's exactly why, one of the reasons why I wrote the book. When they were growing up, it was just at the beginning of the whole internet exploding into the absolute leviathan that it is today and you know the first iphone 2007 the real pickup in internet and social media use in 2010 uh, with snapchat you know facebook in 2006 early on when they were young i kind of thought that hey this is not good the kids or anybody is staring at a screen for so often so my kids didn't get a phone until they were at the end of 11th grade and they didn't have enormous amounts of time on the computer because I said they couldn't. Uh, they had one hour a week 
of video games and it could only be played on a weekend, which I knew they would be going to athletic events and or being involved with other things that would preclude them looking too much in, at video games. So I cut them off from all of that. We didn't really have the TV um, that worked very often and that was by design. So they were spared staring at screens as they were young. And so that that was really helpful. And today, the ubiquity of screens, social media, what I call the glowing rectangle, whether it's a tablet, a phone, a laptop, a full-blown computer. You know, kids today, an average teen, spends eight hours and 49 minutes on their phone. Uh, that's more time than they spend sleeping. And that's more time, and that excludes schoolwork. So the idea that a kid's on a, on a phone almost nine hours a day, first of all, that's wrong. And the whatever they're getting, you know, the internet's a very, it can be a filthy place. I, you know, I don't have to be a Puritan to say that. It's the truth. It's also, too, where's the parent in all this? Where's the parent if a kid is, well, the, kid, the parent is looking at a phone, approximately total screen time for a typical adult in this country, in the United States, is about 11 hours in 30 minutes. So that's that fundamental shift of people just staring at screens. And that has a numbing effect. You know, a typical kid today gets 216 different alerts on their phone within a 24-hour period. So they're constantly distracted. And that distraction leads to what we, the current situation of where we have it today. I think also, too, it was different when the boys were growing up than it is now this move towards an uh, kind of an equity culture where everything has to be brought down to the mean, you know, and we have to, you know, close the achievement gap and everyone has to play a quarter of a game. And I don't think that does much for the competitive spirit that's in any girl or boy at all on an athletic field. And I know that because I've spent probably 25 years on athletic fields, um, all over the country and in five different sports. So I have a good sense of that nature in a kid. And I think the third thing is, is the, just the parent disengagement. You know, you opened this by saying you had a strategy. Yeah, I did. It was pretty primitive, I would say, maybe. But I was engaged. And I'm not sure parents are engaged now as they were, let's say, 20 years ago before this revolution that you talked about. Our conversation with Jeff Nelligan, author and father of three, will continue. Coming up, maintaining a parenting strategy during and after a divorce. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Want to learn more about the show? Email info at whereparentstalk.com. Stick around. Leanne Castellino and Where Parents Talk will be right back on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to Where Parents Talk. Listen live at 1059theregion.com. Here's Leanne Castellino. Welcome back. We are talking about the benefit and impact of having a parenting strategy. Our guest is Jeff Nelligan, father of three and author of Four Lessons for My Three Sons, How to Raise Resilient Kids. Jeff, let's pretend that you became a father in the last 10 years or so. And you're now having to deal with a lot of the pain points parents are grappling with today. Screen time, excessive device usage, lack of sleep, bullying, etc. 
in what ways would the strategy that you employed 28 or so years ago change if you were a father today with a young child? That's a that's a profound question. You know, I've never been asked that. I would say, and we go back to, first of all, the, again, the ubiquity of screens. I wrote a book about this um, at the end of the pandemic lockdowns. It was called Your Kids Rebound from uh, Pandemic Lockdowns, How You Can Restore Your Family. And the the thrust of it was the the biggest kind of negative I saw was the increased use of screen time beginning in about April of 2020. And my solution was, and it's in the book, and it's what I would undertake today if I, if I was a parent of kids that age, was a social media contract. Parents and the kids sitting down to say, okay, we've got all these devices. We're using up all this time. Here's the contract. We're turning off the router in the house at eight o'clock. These websites now are inaccessible to you. You will not pick up a phone when you're in a car or at a restaurant. Your usage will be limited to an hour or two hours a day, and we will check. And there are devices now all over the web in which you can just literally shut your kid's phone off. So the idea was just to bring it all in. And then dad and mom have to play the game too. They say, we're not going to be looking at these things whenever we're around you. You know, we're going to cut down our hours every day. So you start to shrink the amount of time. And I gave you the numbers, eight hour, 49, 1130. You shrink those down so that you're, you're getting back control of your kid. I think the second thing too is, and being a sportscaster, you get this. I, the idea of athletics in a kid's life is huge. And when I, and it's not just the athletic field. It can be, you know, the concert band or the marching band. It can be the theatrical stage. It can be the robotics club, but all these things in athletics, it's rather cute. You learn, you learn that that's how the real world works. You practice enough and you get better. There is adversity every game. You win or you lose. There's no equity in a final score. You form this camaraderie with your team and you have to be disciplined enough to play within the boundaries of how good you are and then to practice and get better. So the, those qualities are among all those things I mentioned earlier, the theater stage, the band, the robotics club, you know, that shared commitment to something. I think that's, that's essential. And I think that's parents should need to push their kids in that direction because at the end of each of those is a goal. There's an end of a season. There's an end of a semester. There's an end of a production. And having kids work towards that goal makes them just stronger, um, more resilient individuals. Now, each of your sons are military officers. And I'm curious to know that um, whether that happened by accident or by design <laughs> based on how you've described your parenting approach. Uh, again, I'll go back to, you know, the sports analogy um, from early on. I pushed them into sports and they were, it was luck, you know, fortunately they were good. And, but they were just, they're like every kid starting out at four. Every kid starting out at four is on a pretty level playing field. It's how much you put towards it is how you get better. It's like the smart kids in a class who get good grades, who have to continue to get good grades or just do because they're very good at schoolwork. 
And in the midst of this athletic uh, environment, again, they, they developed those qualities that we spoke of, or, you know, that I just talked about. Resilience and adversity, you know, hard, hard losses, great wins, the discipline of sweating it out in a weight room or running around the block, you know, 150 times or, you know, having to do footwork drills at 630 in the morning. All that and the leadership that's involved in it, and they were all three sport captains in high school and they all went on to play college sports. They love that camaraderie of a team and that drive towards a goal. The military is very similar and they like being around those kind of individuals. And they ultimately, that's where they ended up in those kind of leadership positions where you have to be decisive. You have to be follow through with anything and you have to be sharp and alert and rugged. And they prove that again and again, you know, some in some tight situations and a lot of the stuff they learned as young, young boys really um, have helped them get through those situations. Now, another interesting aspect of your story with respect to, you know, raising your three boys is that you and you and their mother uh, at one point parted ways. So there was a divorce involved. And I'm, you know, I wonder, understand, because a lot of families are in that position today. How did you go about navigating raising kids through a divorce and after while still maintaining that strategy you refer to and the parenting approach that you've talked about? Uh, I'll say right now, my former wife gets 90% of the credit for how the boys turned out. You know, I get 10% for being just a major league nag. Uh, We shared the same values. Um, We shared the same thoughts about realizing the potential and, you know, having said potential, every kid has potential to be good at one thing. Every kid, uh, rich or poor, religious or agnostic, uh, whatever race, wherever they grow up, Every kid has a potential. I'm old school that way um, because I, again, when you when you talk about fatherhood and, or just be parenting, let's say that I've been around families and kids and parents in every venue under the sun for a quarter of a century. So I've pretty much seen it all as most as many parents probably who are listening now. Um, we had those shared values, so we were able to combine and just keep them moving forward. Um, it was also too. Kids and parents will get this really well. Kids are always have to be somewhere. So you're always driving them somewhere. It's to school, it's to practices, it's events, games. And so we, you know, the time I spent around them all those all those years, it was every day, every day of the week. And when you have three sons who play sports and who are gradually getting better and better at them to the point where, as I noted earlier, the youngest kid was a first-team All-American NC2A athlete. Uh, you just you you create that bond with them, and I drop you drop everything to make sure they get to where they need to be. And I, one of the stats in, a, in an op-ed I did for the Washington Post, one of the stats that I mentioned is for that single kid, all the way from four-year-old soccer to his last game winning the national championship in rugby, I tended. 1,367 games. That's one kid. So, and all three kids played in college. So, you know, you just treble that almost. But so if the dad or the mom in a divorced couple 
makes that effort that shows up. That's the biggest thing and I, for adults and kids. Just show up, you know, be there no matter how much of a pain it is. If you drive an hour and your your kid never gets off the bench, you still have to show up. And that happened to me. I mean, plenty of times. Or you go to a swim meet after a 45 minute, you know, tornado through traffic and the kids in the water for, you know, three minutes and then you got to drive back. So it's that showing up for your kids. And, and again, that shared values with the um, other spouse. Along those lines, how would you characterize what concerns you as you look at the parenting landscape today? Is there something in particular that really strikes you? Yeah, you know, I go back, Leanne, to what I'd said earlier. The job of a parent is not to build that relationship with their kid. It's not to be liked. It's not to be their kid's best friend. It's to prepare them for the real world. No one gets a free ride. And the sooner a kid hits an obstacle, the better. Because then you get to see how that kid can react to adversity and somehow, some way, get over it, around it, and put it in the rearview mirror because those obstacles are going to come fast and furious every day and every year of their life as they grow up. Adults already know this because adults hit these obstacles all the time. And it's the idea of that parent being engaged enough to not worry about, well, Johnny and I are best friends. It's no, can Johnny cut it in the real world where the, the elbows are sharp and the edges are rough and He's got to make his way. And this is the easiest time to make your way. This is a very wealthy country, as is Canada. They're, the standard of living, the opportunities that these kids have. You know, my dad was 15, and he was, at age 15, was working in a vanadium mine a mile beneath the, the surface of the Sierra Nevada mountains. At 18, he participated in the invasion of Okinawa. Now, there's no such thing as emerging adults for a guy like that, you know? And it's not that, oh, the good old days were great because they were so harsh. It's the good old days had some good lessons about being steadfast and strong. And if you've got an increasing amount of kids who are emerging adults, you know, maybe the old values are worth just revisiting. Jeff, what would you say you're most proud of as a dad? I've seen these kids hit the wall and again and again, and sometimes, you know, really tough. And they never quit. They never gave up. And sometimes the success wasn't immediate. Maybe it took months, um, but they never caved. And that's that's the most important thing um, that if they can that if I can just get up and drive forward, you know, it's an old, when I was in the army, we had an old saying just screamed at us by every drill sergeant at, at Fort Benning. It was assess, adapt, advance. And that means if you were in a tight spot, you really had to think clearly and figure out how you were going to get yourself and your guys out of it. That's what I think I'm most proud of, that they've never, that the, the consistency of moving forward has never been, obstructed by a momentary, you know, saga. 
Jeff Nelligan, author of Four Lessons for My Three Sons, How to Raise Resilient Kids. Thank you for sharing your lived experience with us today. Thank you for having me, Leanne. You can catch the full video interview with Jeff at whereparentstalk.com. That is our time for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Leanne Castellino. Till next time, happy parenting. Sign up for Leanne's parenting newsletter and so much more at whereparentstalk.com. This is Where Parents Talk on 105.9 The Region.